Welcome to Creative on Purpose Live. This show accepts where you're at and helps you get where you want to go. Are you ready to make a difference? This show helps you step into your what's next with integrity and intention. It's time to be creative on purpose. This season is called Dialogue That Makes a Difference. My guests are leaders engaged in transformative discourse, discussions that shun the status quo and embrace possibility. I'm your host, Scott Perry. Learn more about me and my work at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Let's meet today's guest. Karen D'Souza, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where we can connect with you to learn more. Scott, thank you very much for having me on your podcast and on your broadcast today. Uh, I'm Karina D'Souza. And my website, should you need to learn more about me, is KarinaDeSouza.com. I'm very much hoping that your guests and my viewers uh, will join us and follow us on my Facebook page, uh, which is Tilt the Future. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the same um, uh, Tilt the Future as my uh, logo there. Uh, so what? So what? So what is the what? What is the current project that you're working on? Well, uh, you first found me uh, when we were both in the Seth Godin projects on TMS, uh, the marketing seminar. At that point, I was I have been very engaged in uh, doing strategy in discovering about the future of work and crafting it primarily as a message for Generation Z or Generation Z. So Generation Z is anyone who is born after 1995. Hmm. Um, so why did I pick these? As a strategist, I was working in the future of money um, and paying attention to what was happening in that world. As I did that, I realized that fintech was going to disrupt what I considered a very secure industry. And at the same time, I had three teenagers at home uh, and I realized that this was bigger than just one industry. This was actually how work was going to change. We're not talking about just how your day-to-day -day technology was going to affect our tasks, but really having us expand our vision and consider how um, work itself was going to change, how work day was going to be affected and be very different from the work day that you and I grew up in and our parents had. Um, so that led me into a whole new um, discovery for myself and initiative, which I first called Future Casting, and have now broadened to call Tilt the Future. Fantastic. So one of the, the you used a term that I'm not familiar with uh, at the beginning. Was it FinTech? Oh, yes. Uh, so that is a short form for financial technologies. You, in, in 1919, we know them as the apps on our phone that mm -hmm. the banks ask us to use to connect with them. Um, we know them as Apple Pay, we know them as Samsung Pay. So all these initiatives that have come around um, to help us use money digitally. Uh, way back when, these were people, these were physical tellers who um, still remember my father not being able to use an ATM because he refused to trust his money with uh, his hard cash <laughs> with something that was mechanical. And so we've seen that evolution go from moving away from hard cash to a human being to using an ATM to do those transactions and now digitalizing that and you know Bitcoin and things like that come into the conversations as well. Really, really That's interesting. Yeah. So and well just I, I wanna 
just pause there for one second, just because I'm just because I'm curious um, or nosy. Um, I mean, money. So, so our friend and mentor Seth Godin, who created the program, the marketing seminar, where you and I first met, um, often says that money is simply a story. And it's interesting, uh, you know, we've all seen this evolution of the way that we, uh, you know, I, I am old enough to remember when, you know, not everyone had a credit card um, and now and, and, you know, lived, uh, came, came of age during the ATM, the rise of the ATM and now uh, find myself in the digital age still clinging pretty uh, tightly to my beloved checkbook and check register as opposed to trusting uh, debit cards or even um, uh, buttons that say click now to pay. <laughs> yes. um, so how, how do you see, how, how do you see the story that we're telling ourselves about money? Uh, how has that changed recently with, all, as you say, all these apps that are making in some ways our ability to transact uh, much more, uh, just just much much faster, much easier. Okay, all right, you're opening up a can of worms here. So, I would never, I would never, I would never intend to do such a thing. Right? Well, um, I guess my interest came around into this area because at that point I'd been running a small business, and if any entrepreneur out there knows. Um, what I realized was uh, the reason I started researching and writing about these in my blogs was I figured if I could save someone five minutes and a small business owner, five minutes in their day by using technology, as opposed to having to go to a bank, then that's actually, you know, through my personal experience, that's five minutes extra sleep. That's super mm -hmm. valuable. So that's where that came about. And where this story has its place is that, the apps are actually making it easier and easier for us to spend more and more. Uh, so whereas we had tangible cash, you felt that money leave your palm. Mm -hmm. And there was a sense, I mean, like you'll see this in budgeting conversations that happen where you'll be advised to actually take out money from the bank, put it in uh, jars, and then only spend what is in the jars. So these kinds of concepts um, really relate to that tangibility of cash. And the apps actually make it easier for us to spend more. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll find conversations about that in advice given to people um, who are using credit cards. So there's that conversation that's happening. Where it interests me particularly is in, in how I was educating my children about spending their money when they were teenagers. As you mentioned before, the check register is what saved me when I was a kid, right? Because you could actually see how much I put in how much I took out and at what point it was heading towards zero and what point you had to go out there and like figure out some other chores or, or small jobs that you could do to increase your worth. So these are the concepts I needed to make sure I communicated to my children so they understood how to budget correctly. And that's where those, that's where that interest started for me. Yeah, so then, really... oh, Sorry, and I was going to say, and then the other side of me is I have a very techie background. So uh, I was also watching things like M-Pesa come on board. So that was the ability to pay via text. And now we're so much further in that conversation. Mm -hmm. but. So the, I mean, the story, uh, what money is and what money means and, and the story we tell ourselves about money has changed dramatically and you're in my lifetime and um, our children are growing up with a, a, 
a story about money that we couldn't have even imagined when we were their age. And at the same time, in your current work, uh, the very same thing is happening about the stories that we tell ourselves about what work is, what meaningful work is, and um, what work means in terms of our sense of uh, significance and belonging and and so forth. So tell us a little bit more about about that work that you're you're doing now. Okay, thank you very much. You've touched on something that's really core to my work and core to my beliefs. So just as we're able to reframe money and the concepts and the interpretation of money, uh, I believe we're seeing that same transition right now in work. I actually believe a little bit, if you, if you back up a second, it's actually an era change that we're going through. We had the industrial era and some people are calling it the fourth industrial era, but I'm actually calling it the digital era. We're actually making the same transition we had made from the agricultural to the industrial era. That same framework that had to be put in place for us to survive in a different uh, social culture, political culture is having to be recreated for us now in the digital culture. So that is where we are. And this particular generation, Generation Z, are the ones who are making that transition. They've been brought up by parents like us who only knew one world. We only mm -hmm. know the world of the industrial era. And therefore, every analogy we offer, any advice we offer them, any experience we offer them comes out of, our, um, out of the industrial era. They are kind of like those first explorers who set foot in North America. They have no map. They have to create it themselves. But what I want to offer them is the fact that this is possible, that this is the new adventure. This is, this is their you know, wild west that they get to cr discover, create, and, and establish. Um, they have all that opportunity. So I'd like to change the conversation from one that the press seems to be pushing, which is, oh my gosh, you know, half the jobs that we know about right now will have gone by the year 2030. And I'm like, oh my gosh, half the jobs we know right now will be gone. We're going to have all these new jobs out there. Um, one uh, analogy I often offer to parents who sit in my audience is how many of y'all rode in here on a horse, right. right? So half, you know, like a hundred years ago, this same discussion was happening around the fact that the automobile was coming into our culture. And we're at that kind of a spot. So I want I would like there to be an openness about the conversation that's happening with the young people around us, something that is enabling, something that gives them agency, something that gives them the ability to go out there and try new things. Because right now, there is no wrong. That's the one thing I love about the era we're in right now. You can try something out. If it doesn't work out, you go back and try something different. Interesting. So two things leap to mind, and I want to stick a pin in each, and then we'll take them one at a time. I want to talk about this idea of agency, because I think you are absolutely correct in that. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're not a culture that um, has done a very good job historically of, of, letting, of, of, of encouraging people to not only um, understand that they already do have agency, but that they, they have uh, the, the possibility of employing that agency and making their own decisions. The other thing is just um, how do we establish, as a strategist, we need to come up with uh, 
you know, we have to find strategies that will help us make our way in this kind of wild west, as you say. And, and uh, you know, we need to be not only as the a generation of teachers helping to establish strategy, but also teaching young people how they need the importance of strategy in how they decide to move forward. So let's start with the agency piece. Um, How, how do we, uh, how do we, how do we encourage agency and how do we encourage people to employ agency in, in, in this domain of, of, of the new, the new idea of work? Okay. Um, I guess here I'm going to back. I'm going to give you a little bit about my life history. Uh, so when I was around 10 years old, I'd been I'd grown up in Uganda, and if you happen to be that age, uh, you'll know that um, Idi Amin came along and one mm-hmm. bright morning decided that all Asians um, were going to be evicted out of his country. It was called, you know, we called it the Exodus. <laughs> but um, so at very young age, I had some I. My father had been born there, I'd been born there, and everything I ever knew was wrapped up in this beautiful country, and it all disappeared through nothing that I had done. There was nothing that I had, had, it was, this was something that was outside of my area of influence, and it impacted my life. And for quite a while, I actually lived my life um, doing really well. I've had a fantastic life, don't get me wrong, but always having a sense that um, things had happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, probably around 1996, I was introduced to a concept called scenario planning. And that was pivotal to me. That's part of what really engaged me in this conversation about the future. But the piece that I took away from it that was most important was the fact that I actually made choices within that environment that was given to me. I chose to step into opportunities. Um, I chose when not to step into opportunities. I chose to read signals and move away because they seemed like they would not serve me. That to me is agency. That is where I actually uh, impacted my own path. And sometimes it took me in a positive place and sometimes it didn't, but it was something that I did. And I think we have to remember that we have responsibility to ourselves. So some people may interpret agency as something much bigger the conversation I really want to pass along right now is we can make very minute, small decisions. We can make a one degree difference in what we are able to do. You know, everything from going to the gym, eating healthier, those are parts of agency. But in today's world, and particularly around the conversation about the future of work, uh, you can choose how to expand which classes you take. You can choose to do what... Um, seems like the right decision, uh, seems like it's responsive to other people's re- requirements of you, but also add something into that that is of importance to you so that you're able to take that step, take that responsibility and actually do something that benefits your path, your future. And test, you know, test as you go along. Is this serving me or is this not? But you have actually made that decision. Right. Well, I love the way that you broke that down. And, and I would totally agree that Agency really comes down to how do you 
choose to see things and what do you choose to do next? And you have absolute control over both of those things. And the fact that you don't control anything else above and beyond that um, is you decide whether to choose the story. Did you choose the story of agency or do you choose the story of victimhood? And if you want to look at all the external things that are beyond your control, then you choose the story of victimhood and you know, you have to kind of live, live with that. But if you choose, I, I, I love to share that, you know, you only have control over two things, your perception and what you decide to do next. And the good news is all you need to do, all you need to make progress in any endeavor that you care about is to choose what you frame things and choose what you just do decide, to, exactly. decide to do next. Because I, between those two poles of this is all you control and everything else is beyond your control. There's this vast gray area of things that are within your influence. And that's where your agency, where you're able to, um, you know, poke the box a little bit and, and, and move into possibility as opposed to remain inert or humble and hiding, you know, because there's just too much beyond your control. And even in that, like, I mean, it's the people you choose to engage with the, um, the platforms on which you choose to engage, mm-hmm. right? I mean, especially in today's world where there's so much that's happening digitally and with social media, it's very easy to get into a group that would suck the energy out of you. So it's seeking out those opportunities to be around people who actually challenge you, like you did to me as part of TMS. And as you continue to do, it's like, you know, stepping into, like engaging with people that ask you to search for that better part of yourself. So that's one little tiny little piece of agency as well. Oh yeah, I love that. Um, so what about the um, the strategy piece? How can how, you describe yourself or or um, introduce yourself as a strategist? Um, you and I were speaking off camera briefly about um, this crazy little book that you've collided with recently that also talks about goals and strategy and tactics. Um, what is strategy? <laughs> what is what d- define strategy for us and tell us why it's important and tell us how we can become more better strategists because I think that is so crucial to this whole conversation about agency and making our way in this in this new world of work. Okay, um, I love that question because it actually brings back that that title that I had there before future casting. Uh, So going back to the whole concept of scenario planning. Uh, Scenario planning was uh, something that came out of the Shell Corporation. And its core is built around simulation games that happen uh, within the Army and the Navy. Uh, War games, if you like it. And any one of us knows that, you know, to uh, to have a response to an event... We hope not to have that event. It's like, so this is kind of like your insurance plan. This is your dry run through an event that hasn't happened yet and you hope will never happen. Uh, So within that, and I'm not going to steal your entire interview by talking about um, scenario planning, but I really encourage you to go out there and Google it because it's really rich um, and has been used by everyone from large corporations through to the South South African government when they were trying to figure out how to make that transition out of apartheid into the new government and new structure. There have been lots of uses for it. Municipalities use it all the time to try and figure out how do we plan ahead. Uh, So at the core of this is the fact that 
there is the future that we hope and intend for ourselves. And that's usually what everybody chooses to invest in when they're planning four and five and 10 years in the future. We never plan for ourselves to look at a disaster. We're looking at the best possible outcome. But what scenario planning encourages you to do is also to look at other possibilities. So for a start, you're looking at the polar opposite. It's like, what happens if what I have planned doesn't happen? And then um, also look at some other variables. But in that, to figure out what caused your intended future not to be the way it happened. What signals are you watching for? What outside influences? What's happening in politics? What's happening in society? And looking, using each of those to, inf to inform your view of the world. So that's the short answer. And, and a lot of organizations like Ford, um, I was with Morgan Stanley, they've used this very actively to plan 5, 15, 20 years in the future. Not because they're actually planning into those other quadrants, but they're watching it to understand when they have to make a shift. So that was the world that I, you know, I first found out about scenario planning and strategy and stuff. In. And I came away and I started thinking, in today's world, where the future of work, um, so one of the things about the future work that I truly believe is that we're definitely out of the era where um, you could go into one job and retire from that one job. So if we're both in agreement about that, which I think we are, um, I'm also seeing out after 2008, many people of our generation having been um, no longer working in the careers that they started off in and having made a pivot and either adding another career to the original one or moving in a different direction, but basically expanding the portfolio of the careers that they have under their belt. So this is the future that I see for my children and I see for Generation Z. So if that is true, then the core thing that I believe is now I am a corporation. I have to think as a corporation. So if I have to think as a corporation, most successful Fortune 500 corporations have strategy as one of their um, core departments. They also have operations, they have bookkeeping, which is budgeting and looking after your money. Uh, they have marketing and all those kinds. Each of those is a division. But if I think of myself as a corporation, then I have to think of myself as a strategist as well. Not only am I doing what's in front of me and what I see as um, the tasks that need to be done, but I'm also thinking, how is this playing into my future? And more importantly, what could come in as a threat? What, what event could throw me off course? Or better still, what can I take and augment to improve the product that I'm offering? So for instance, our conversation about podcasts, I'm looking at that as something that changes the breadth of people that I can impact, the number of people in the audience who may listen to the two of us and walk away with a gem that speaks to their particular need at that moment. So a year ago, podcasting was not on my radar. It's a skill I've had to learn um, and I'm learning and hopefully we'll have in place soon. Um, but that's, that's the kind of concept. It's like what you're looking at either technically or socially, you're reading the room in essence. So um, does that answer the question? Yeah, that it, it, it does. And it, it, it opens up this other, as I'm hearing you talk about what strategy is and how you're employing strategic thinking in, in your current endeavor. Mm -hmm. 
and something that I preach in my work is, yes, you must have a goal and you should set your sights and, and be moving in the direction of a goal. And you should have a strategy that aligns with who you are and what you're good at and the people that you seek to serve. And the strategy needs to be informed by that goal. And, uh, and then you, 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 the, the tactics are those day-to-day -day things that we're trying and yes. testing that help us get there. At the same time that you have a, 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 a goal in mind that's often off on the horizon and a strategy that is designed to help you get there, as you are in each moment of every day, there, the new po possibilities will avail themselves. Yes. Things that you haven't considered. Now, some of those things, as you said, may be catastrophic. And yes, there is, I believe, as a as a confirmed stoic, that you should visualize the, the possible negative um, occurrences and be prepared for them. Um, but at the same time, you also don't want to attach to any of that. And, um, you know, awareness is not attachment. You should be aware, but you should not be attached. Yes. And at the same time, you should be aware and moving towards a goal, but you should yes. not be so attached to it that you cannot take advantage exactly. of, of, of an opportunity that presents itself just because it may not be in the plan because the plan can't be uh, taken into consideration um, all contingencies. So I, I just, that part of what you were saying really um, leaped out at me. Now, well, if you actually take it in a personal, um, when I was first testing out this whole conversation, many years ago and I actually did a speech, uh, sorry, a speaking class and I presented this idea geared to uh, future of work. But I remember one of uh, a lady in the audience saying, oh, I understand this now. She says, we never go, we never stand at the altar saying I do to each other, expecting that we're going to divorce. And so that is the concept that I, you know, I think that's the analogy that plays best is like you, you're watching for signals, you know, are you keeping this going? what is coming in to challenge this marriage. So that is, that is the, I guess, a good analogy for what we're talking about. We have the best intention, but we also have to keep our, you know, you got to step up every now and again and check and see if anything is a threat on the horizon. Yeah. Well, I think you said something uh, about our kind of, uh, we're always hoping for the best possible outcome. Yes. And I, I'm fond of saying yes, but hope, you know, hope, Hope is not a strategy. It can be sometimes a very um, important tactic to use to get us through the dip or, or a challenging moment. Um, but if if our entire future is banked on the hope that things will align themselves in such ways that we get what we want, uh, we're probably going to end up being very, very disappointed. Well, we're reaching the end of our time here, Karina, and I, I have this last question that I, I've been asking all, all of my guests um, last season and this season, and I'd love to ask it of you. If if you could plant just one idea or concept into the minds of everyone who dreams of making a difference through compelling conversations like this or storytelling or work that matters, what would it be? Uh, something I think I've learned from Seth Godin and everyone in the TMS and TPF group, uh, you've got to take a step. You can plan as much as you want, but you have to put, make yourself vulnerable and you have to get out there. And the other thing I've realized is, um, whereas our generation thought that you had to have huge market share to make a difference, 
in today's world with the internet, it doesn't matter. So my hope is that I influence one person out of seven and a half billion people, and that'll be my gift to the world. Fantastic. So this is a weird bit of synchronicity. This just this morning, I created a little infographic for my Instagram account that says want to make progress in an endeavor that matters answer two questions. What's new? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Once again, great minds thinking alike. I love it. Uh, thanks, everybody for tuning in. Karina DeSuso, I appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. And we both hope that today's broadcast motivates you, the listeners and those tuning in to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Karina D'Souza and her work at KarinaD'Souza.com. Fantastic. And of course, it's always great to hear from you and see you at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Now, Go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. Karina D'Souza, thanks so much for your time and for your expertise that you shared here today. Thank you very much for having me.